We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are good. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet. Oh, Welcome back, my friends. To another audio adventure here on Insight. I'm CVP Chris Family. Thank you so much for being with us as we welcome the one, the only Mark Jindrak to the show. And I love how this conversation came together. I was at a wrestling convention in Hamburg, Pennsylvania last July called Legends of Hamburg. That's where I interviewed Maven, by the way, if you've seen or heard that interview. And set up at the table next to us was Mark Jindrak. And when you see this guy in person, He's a big dude. So when there was a break in the action, I went up, I introduced myself, and I asked him if he'd be interested in coming on the podcast. Took a little while, but here we are. And at the heart of this story, it's all about those moments that change your life forever. Those right place, right time moments, and it sets you on the path that you're on right now. And for him, it was WCW followed by WWE, followed by a really successful run in Mexico as Marco Corleone. And he's at Marco Corleone 23 on Twitter, if you're looking for him, at Jindrak1 on Instagram. And I'm at Chris Van Vliet, if you're looking for me. Take a screenshot. Let us know that you're listening to this and tag us at those social media accounts we just listed off so we can share it. And if this is your first episode, please consider subscribing on whatever app it is that you're listening on right now. Our fan of the week is GC1200. He says, D'Lo Brown interview is spectacular. Great interview. D'Lo is definitely the Forrest Gump of wrestling. He's been there, and what a way to convey that in the interview. I love it. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to this on an iPhone, please leave a few words, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll shout you out on the show. That's what we do. It's our way to say thank you for being on this journey with us. And if you're not an Apple podcast listener, if you listen on Spotify, they've got ratings on there now. We just hit 500 ratings recently. So, geez, you guys are on 500 ratings in like, I think it was like three months. So, amazing. So, if you have Spotify, it takes, I don't know, two seconds to go on there, click the five stars, and that's it. So, thank you. I say this a lot, but super grateful for you guys. So, thank you. Now let's dive into this. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Jindrak. Mark, you're one of those guys that when people see you, they're immediately like, that guy's tall. Like you must get asked several times a day, how tall are you? Yes, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, uh, 
a lot more America. Uh, I mean, a lot, a lot less in America. Uh, when I, in Mexico, of course, you know, my height was a big, big differ, uh, differential between myself and the average like Mexican height. And uh, but here in America, there's there's people a little bit taller. You know, the the average height is is about a little higher. So yeah, it's definitely not six six though. No, no, no. Six six is a good height though. I like it. Yeah, you're one of those people that when you when you see you, you're like, oh, that guy has played a sport at some sort of professional level, possibly basketball. Yeah, I, I get that. I do get that a lot. Like it's the way I dress too. Like I, I walk around with, everywhere with Jordans on, or you know, I'm still I'm 44 years old, but um, you know, my wife in, in Spanish she calls me a, a, a rapero anciano, which means an ancient rapper. <laughs> Because that's the way like, I, I kind of, you know, it's, and I laugh. I look in the mirror and I'm like, you know, usually I, I wear my hat backwards and I'm wearing some kind of jogging suit or something. It's just, you know, I just I don't want to grow up, you know. So luckily my wife accepts me the way I am, you know. But yeah, everyone thinks I'm an athlete. You posted on Instagram the other day that you were back in the ring for the first time in four years. So yeah, yeah. I guess the first part of that is, was that in, in Mexico? It was almost in Mexico. It was uh, in Laredo on the first night. And then the next night was in El Paso. And, uh, you know, like it, 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 was, it was four years. Um, I got into ring a little bit here in Knoxville. Um, you know, Kane and Dr. Tom Pritchard have a school here. So uh, a couple nights I went down and uh, did some in-ring in like blow-up drills and stuff. But, uh, you know, I really, I firmly believe at this age, you know, like my bumps are limited. So. And I just wanted to make sure everything, you know, in terms of I, I ran every day a few miles, you know, made sure everything was good. But like I wrestled and, uh, you know, it was good. Two shoe shows went good, well and uh, I missed the ring. And uh, it's crazy. Uh, just even like if I felt like I didn't skip a beat almost, you know, and it was four yeah. years. But like, uh, I guess it's a weird thing. It's just it's just. Time changes, but not that many time, time goes on, but things don't change that much. It seems, you know, and, and it was good to be back, like almost in Mexico, you know, I think, uh, at the end of April, I'm going back and wrestling some shows there in Mexico city, Cancun. And I want to say Merida. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I haven't been back in Mexico since, but almost, you know, like I said, El Paso and, uh, Laredo. Your physique is clearly still in ring shape. Like it was phenomenal. Like you, you're like, oh, I'm 44 now, the ancient rapper. No, like you're just as jacked as your WCW days. Well, yeah, I mean that is. I, I felt like I looked the part, you know, and that's that's important to me. I didn't I didn't want to be. Age is just a number as long as you still look the part, you know. Because if, if yeah, I yeah. came back and I, I looked like a little bit off, and I and I grant you, I still have for my dates at the end of April. Like I'm gonna improve my body even another 20 25 percent because you know these these things that when you're in a, a regular life of working you know a, a nine to five or or just not or just just not training to wrestle for years and years you 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 work out but you don't work out to that extreme level like you would if you're in ring you know and uh you know so i i basically for three years i didn't i re, i trained like a just a normal person you know uh, maintaining maintaining and uh just keeping a halfway decent diet but like you know once i decided to get back into the ring uh, i knew that a lot of decisions would change you know what what i ate uh, how i slept uh stretch how i stretched you know like when i was wrestling i was always like a uh 
a guy who was always very active and stuff, hyperactive and moved around a lot. I would always stretch and stretch and stretch all day, like stretch. People thought I was weird. I'm always touching my toes and, you know, but like that's, that's really stretching is very vital. And I don't, and I don't, I haven't done yoga or anything and I've tried it and I just don't like it, you know, but I try when I stretch out, I try to mimic as many yoga moves as I can, you know? So, um, and I'm the, I'm the guy like on Instagram that, follows all these health and safety, you know, like, uh, stretches and stuff. And I, I'll save them for later. And I'll literally like watch, watch these videos in the gym and, and mimic these stretches, you know, over and over. And it, you know, it just, it just helps even, even 10, 15, 20 minutes a day helps. I would think the greatest motivation to stay in shape, like we're talking during your prime here is the fact that you're going to be walking around on Monday night on TV in your underwear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is a big, well, well, and also that's what I was always known for, you know, like not known yeah. for, but like um, I was quote unquote, uh, a, a body guy, you know, like, and you and, and all the natural born thrillers were body. Yeah. Guys. Yeah. So it just doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, and especially in Mexico, you know, when I was the Marco Corleone character in Mexico, that was my thing, you know, like, um, and, and even some, even more so like television, doing television in Mexico, um, they're, they're, you know, the, the, the Latin culture is very, you know, they're, it's a, you know, it's a, they're not afraid to show some skin, you know? So when I get on TV and do these shows, uh, you know, the, before I know it, I always have my shirt off, you know, they, they count me to take my shirt off and stuff and it worked, you know, it, take my shirt off and showing an eight pack helped cover up some of my lack in Spanish the first couple of years, you know? So, uh, but then I learned Spanish and, you know, and, and, uh, everything else changed, you know? So what did, what did you weigh at your ultimate body guy peak Weigh? Yeah. Uh, probably 250, 255, you know, I, 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 I have a, like a really 5% frame. body fat though. Yeah. Not much body fat, you know, I can, yeah. I, it, it's very well proportioned as well. You know, it, it, it wasn't like, uh, like, I think I could have held 285, 290 pounds easy and, and still looked halfway normal, if that makes any sense, because I was, I was very proportionate, you know? Yeah. So if we go way back here, Mark, like, I think that wrestling kind of found you through a series of, you know, very interesting events, and we'll get into that. But like, what, what did you want to be when you were growing up? It was always geared towards sports. Always. It was always about sports, 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 uh, you know, growing up in Syracuse, uh, Auburn, New York, it's called actually Auburn, New York, um, you know, big Yankee country, upstate New York. Uh, so like Reggie Jackson, I love Reggie Jackson. I love them at 44 now. And he was number 44. Um, Syracuse basketball growing up, I, you know, I always had aspirations of playing basketball, any, anything, basketball, baseball, football, but it was, it was all about sports always. Always, always, always. I can. I mean, you went to that. college for basketball, right? Yeah, I, it was Division three. I played Division three, um, a smaller college here in, in um, around Rochester area, New York. Uh, good competition. Um, you know, I really blossomed into a, a more like elite athlete in college. You know, at high school, I felt like I, you know, I graduated at age seventeen, so it was like I still had like a baby, young body. You know, going into college, and then I filled out a little more in college, and then. Once I started, once I uh, started getting more of a man body, that's when the wrestling came about and stuff. So uh, just in time, you know. But still, even when I started, I was still I still had more of a young, you know, young frame. You know, I didn't peak to like my late twenties, probably. So what were you doing for work when you were in college? Nothing, nothing. I mean, I uh, college. I mean, 
we we had I mean we had work programs and stuff on on school, but it was and, basketball. Uh, yeah, with basketball and stuff, but uh, you know, so really nothing. I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't get a job until after I decided to. Um, what, what originally what I had done is, and that that kind of the segue into like how my wrestling career kind of began. Um, after my sophomore year, sophomore year playing basketball. A couple of my friends were graduating and they moved down to Florida, Orlando, Florida. Um, and they started they started their their careers in food service. So they said, Hey Mark, you know, why don't you, you know, we were all good friends and stuff. I was gonna go into my junior year and they're, you know, of course starting their careers. I said, why don't you come down, do us a favor, drive the U-Haul so we can drive our cars and uh, you know, spend the summer with us. We they lived on right on Universal Boulevard there. Um, so right right near SeaWorld. So it was right in the hot, you know. So I didn't have a car there. So oh yeah, International Drive, right? International Drive, yes. International Drive yeah. Boulevard. I'm sorry, it's been so long. International Drive. Oh, there's Universal right there. Studios there. It makes sense. Yeah, um, you know, right there on on uh, near uh, SeaWorld. and uh, so I worked. I got a job in the summertime working waiting tables at a Denny's there, uh, and right there on International Drive and near SeaWorld. And that was the deal. Like I worked the graveyard shift at night. We were open 24 hours. Oh, I nobody, bet you saw some shit. <laughs> well, nobody, nobody want. Yeah, I saw some, I saw some shit. Nobody really wanted to work that, that gig. So I made a little deal. Like in my friends, you know, they started a career. They're working 70 hour a week. So literally they had the weekends off. So they're ready to go crazy because they're still young guys themselves, you know? And so uh, it was the summertime and stuff. So I, we, I'd get to have the weekends off as long as I worked the crappy uh, graveyard shift. Uh, so that's what I did. And and yeah, you saw some characters. And one of the characters, a uh, few of the characters that came in one night was actually the night that really kind of changed my life. And uh, working at the Denny's was probably like uh, 11 at night. And these two guys came in. One was, uh name was Barry Houston. Another guy's name was Alex Wright. Alex Wright was, that's one of the kids in WCW. Um, actually, I, I, I wrestled him a ton in WCW. And the other guy, Barry Houston, uh, I don't want to use the word like he was more of an enhancement talent on like the Saturday night shows and stuff where they filmed there in Universal Studios in Orlando. Yeah. So I guess they had just got finished their gig of filming there and got some food there at Denny's. So I waited on them and just conversating and stuff. And, you know, the guy, the guy Alex is more like to himself and just eating and stuff. And, and the other guy, Barry, was more conversational. And, you know, he asked me like, hey, you know, there's nobody really in the place. It was kind of dead at the place. And uh He's like, you're a pretty big guy. You know, you play sports. You like, you like wrestling. I was like, man, I used to watch wrestling, but yeah, I play, I play basketball. I'm just down here for the summer with my friends and stuff. He's like, oh man, you should be a wrestler. And I was like, you know, and I was still under the illusion that I, you know, maybe I'm not going to go pro in division three, but I always thought that I'd be able to play internationally or something, sneak on one of these international teams. Um, but yeah, so the night went on, we just chit chatted more and um, it wasn't like a formal invite, but like I'd brushed off the whole wrestling thing. We had some wrestling stories, you know, uh, and then, and they left. But I, the one thing I noticed and what my ego, like my, my athletic ego was, is I'd look at other guys and say, you know, like I'd see them, I see them walking out. I was like, man, well, physically I'm, I'm bigger than those dudes. Number one, yeah. I know I'm more athletic than they are. They can't 360 dunk. I can. Um, and, but but I saw them hopping into a sweet ride. It was probably a rental, but like I just had an illusion of like, man, if, if they're doing it, like, I mean, you know, how hard can it be? And in the most respectful way, because they're really nice dudes. Well, Barry yeah. Houston was. Alex Wright was just to himself. Um, so they leave, whatever. But 
nonchalant meeting. Cool. They left. Later on that night, it was it was probably like three in the morning, and uh, there was nobody in the restaurant. It was just me, the dishwasher, and the cook. And these two kids come in. Not I say kids, but like probably early twenties. They come in. They ask, "Hey, can we have four quarters for a dollar?" I said, "Sure thing." And as I'm opening the restaurant, I look up, and there's like like a gun and a pipe. The one's got a gun, the other's got a pipe. And they're like, you put, "Give me all the money," and I was like, "Yeah, no problem, no problem. Just don't, you know, don't shoot." Don't shoot. I gave them the thing. They got it and they left. It, it wasn't that dramatic of a, a scene, you know? And as, when they left, my young, my young punk ass thought like, wow, this is, oh my God, I just got, I got held up. This is kind of cool. Like this is a first, you know? And because I, I, you know, before then I came from Auburn, New York, you know, and, and a small town, of like 26,000 people. And then in school, the Cayuca, Cayuca college in Penyan, New York, Penyan, New York is like an Amish town. So, you know, and from there, those two things, I was in like a small world. And then I go to Orlando. Yeah. Um, and you get I robbed get at gunpoint. I'm thinking, man, this is the wild, wild west. Like, ding, 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 gunslinging. And, and uh, so I I got held up and the cops oh, came. The police? And, is that the next move? Yeah, the police came. The police okay. came. And, uh, yeah, I called them. Um, you know, I told them what happened, blah, blah, blah. They did a report. By five, like five in the morning, I was I was out of there. They they caught me. The, the the regular manager, store manager came in, handled everything. I went home. Now it was like five in the morning still. So I didn't want to wake my friend up, friends up because they they're sleeping. They got to get up and they got to work twelve hour days. So I just waited. You know, I'm just gonna go to the, like the community. We lived in the apartment complex with you know those community pools, jacuzzi. It's like you know I'm just yeah, gonna yeah. go there to the jacuzzi and chill out. And and lo and behold, when I go to the pool and stuff, I see. Uh, that wrestler Barry Houston, he's there with a girl who actually he was dating from the same, just ironically dating in Orlando, and he was hanging out with her at the pool. They were drinking, and you know the conversation, you know, continued. I told him what had happened. He's like, "Wow, that's amazing." And he, you know, he said, "See, when you, you know, sometimes in life anything can happen." So like, he's like, "I think you should reconsider this wrestling." Now, like, I had my shirt off now, and I was always like physically, genetically. Genetically, Jack, like Mike Sanders would say. Um, <laughs> I, I always, you know, like when he saw me with my shirt off, he was like, "Man, you are you, you're built really well. Like you're still young." He goes, "You're probably going to fill out pretty well in the next few years." And I said, "I think so. I hope so." You know, I, my my dream was always to look like uh, Ivan Drago, you know, from Rocky Four. That's what I always was always. You will lose. Yes, um, I must break you. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so he we, we had a long if he conversation. Dies, he dies. If he dies. He dies. Uh, we had a we had a long conversation. Um, not too long. I mean, but long enough for him to say, "Look, uh, what are you doing tomorrow?" And I was like, "I'm I'm I got the the police people were supposed to come to my apartment, and I was supposed to help him do the the drawing or whatever the like, you know, for the yeah, like the composite sketch. Composite sketch. That's what it's called." Um, I said, besides that, nothing. He goes, okay, well, I'm probably going to sleep in. I'm a little drunk right now. But when I wake up, we have to be to Universal Studios tomorrow around like three or something. They're going to film again. Um, and he goes, why don't you come along as my guests? I'll have you look around. I introduce you to Sarge. Sarge was the head of the power plant. And he actually was on the ring crew. So that was his side gig. And then, you know, and he hated doing the ring crew and set up the ring and stuff. So he get pissed off and go back to the school and take it out of the students, you know, and uh so i so i said i i accepted his offer i said sure and i went down there and stuff and uh it was crazy Intr introduced me to uh it was like i had a 
a blast from the past because my my wrestling recollection was I, I stopped, you know, right around the time, like right at the, the WWF era where like all the, the the cartoon and stuff and the WrestleMania three, probably probably got to about WrestleMania four or five, and I kind of just put it on hold on ice. A wrestling is just kind of disregarded. So a lot of those stars I watched growing up. Um, the Mr. Perfects, the Rick Rudes, the um, um, Brutus Beefcake—you know—all those guys are in WCW now. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I'm walking through these hall, the the backstage of Universal, and I'm seeing these guys. I saw Virgil. I was like, "Holy shit!" I saw the mil- I think the Million Dollar Man was there too. Like all those old WWF characters are now, you know, um, in WCW. I saw Hacksaw. I saw like uh, Booker T and uh, Stevie Ray. Um, I remember, I remember Barry Houston said, "Hey, book, uh, Stevie, Mar- Mark's gonna try out the power plant next month." He goes, "Don't hurt no one, Mark." You know, as he said, I remember it rings my head all the time. And the thing I wrestled with Booker T in WrestleMania 20, you know, so um, just the, I, I saw Rookie Goldberg, you know, like passing through, you know. So yeah, it was, a, it was a great, it was a great experience. And the funniest thing was Sarge, he was set up the ring. It looked like he was hating life, and Barry introduced me to him saying, Sarge, this is a uh, Mark. He's actually going to try out the power plant. And he's like, I said, Hey, Sarge, put my hand out. And he goes, do your fucking squats. And that was, that's all he said to me, do your fucking squats. I was like, Holy shit. So I actually went home, you know, and did my squats. But uh, yeah, and that was, I mean, that, that was just like a, a blast from the past. I felt like it was something that was meant to be, especially with the whole hold up thing. And the, um, uh, just like, Barry Houston, his girlfriend was in my same complex. I decided to go take a swim at five in the morning. I just like seen out of a movie. Seriously. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I could you couldn't write a better story, you know. And uh the best part of it all, this was like the 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 ultimate like wow, is you know, after I met everyone, I they had stuff to do. So I just wanted to say hello and I I was walking off the lot there, gonna go, you know, go back to my place. As I'm walking off, I see a Mercedes, black Mercedes pull up. And um, as it gets closer, it kind of stops. The window goes down. And uh, it was Macho Man. He looked at me. And he was, ooh, I thought you were Alex Wright in his voice. And he drove <laughs> he drove off. And I, but it was crazy because Alex Wright was the other guy that was involved yeah, yeah. in the, the late night dinner. And uh, it was the Macho Man, you know, snapping to a Slim Jim. Like, this is, I mean... It's like I just the thirteen year old me just like exploded at that you know like in my it was crazy and it, and it was um, that was like the cherry on the on the top of the the Sunday you know like after that I was like you know what I'm gonna train the hell of my college, the hell of my junior year of school I'm gonna make this and I'm gonna I'm gonna move to Atlanta and it's actually it's actually what I did you know so well I think that we all have those moments in our life that change and shape the direction of our life I don't know if most people have it condensed into like a few hours like you did with meeting professional wrestlers and getting held up at gunpoint and composite sketches and then going to a jacuzzi at five in the morning. Like this is insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I think sometimes it's, it's supposed to feel a little crazy, you know, like, uh, you know, I have strong faith, you know, and I believe things always happen for a reason. Like I pray for things and I feel like, it's, I never feel like it's some kind of magical thing that, you know, for those who believe in God, that God just grants you this, these spells, like some magician, I believe he gives you opportunities 
in other in, in order to make your dreams come true you know mm -hmm. like he gives you the right avenues and keys and you just have to look for them and you know and, and take them you know take them and, and um you know i just i just really you know I'm, I'm thankful for all those those chain of events and and more so like barry houston you know like uh we i don't keep in contact with him anymore um you know i'm sure with facebook and stuff i could find them i could track them down um but you know him and 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 alex wright you know uh he didn't have not much to do with me at that time but like him and i became pretty good friends as well we wrestled each other many times um you know so it's just it's just crazy it's crazy how things work out i think we've all heard the stories of what training at the power plants like but what was it like for you uh you know it was it was all right it was it was tough it was tough but uh i was i was definitely ready you know um the one thing was in my favor was it fa the, the the tryout itself favored the athlete that was more like well-rounded you know like i could run efficiently i could i could you know um i had good endurance and ag agility and, and speed so all those things and i had good cardio as well so i was big but like i said i was always well proportioned you know i could be 240 pounds but i look like i'm 220 you know so yeah you know even even i you know but then when i as i got bigger you know as i got to 250 255 i looked more like 280 because yeah just the way i wore it you know so yeah from that um, fateful night to you making your first appearance on nitro how long was that that was um that that thing that whole thing happened i want to say in october of 97 october of 97 that happened and um the first nitro was the first nitro well my first signing of my contract at wcw was april 7th 1999 so do the math it's like maybe a year and a year and a half pretty much you know a year and a half from from time that the uh, hold up to contract about a year and a half um yeah and then after signing that was april 7th 1999 um we did some saturday night tv appearances i say we because that whole time it was always me and all the power plant you know the guys that were giving opportunities to the palumbos the stasiacs the hairs the johnny the bulls um you know uh, they're all giving us, uh, you know, opportunities at the time. So we did some Saturday night stuff, but when I really, uh, our first big stuff was Nitro was June 26th, year 2000. That was my 23rd birthday. So, uh, I remember these dates. I'm really good with yeah, dates. You're like rain man here with these dates. Yeah. It's right. Amazing. That's I, and I, it's funny as I, re I refer to myself, um, and we can talk about this later, but I, you know, I, I grade cards for a living. I grade sports cards. And that's my that's my profession and stuff, which we've talked about before. And um, you know, that's like what you do I, now for a living. You grade yes, sports cards. I grade that's sports a huge cards. business right now, too. Big business. Like, in yeah. fact, my brother, uh, my brother's like he just sent he had an armored truck come to his house and pick up 30 to 35, I want to say 35 of his cards to bring them to a vault in Oregon. Um, that's where all the big the big wigs keep all their 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 big cards, their big money cards. My brother's 35 cards were valued at like 5.1 million dollars oh my gosh yeah and like you know so when i was my brother's 11 months younger than me so um you know when we when we were growing up and stuff we were, he was very we were very competitive athletically that he was the difference was he's six two six three and i'm six six you know those three inches mean a, a you know, big difference in athletics you know sure but um you know he went on to be an engineer 
um, which, you know, he makes good money and stuff. And when I was out wrestling and stuff, so like in those years, like 2007, 2008, when the economy was down and stuff, he was buying up all these, like, like he would play sports cards, like the stock market, you know, he, he knew which cards were going to go up. He stuck, stuck to his, like, you know, just getting the Messies, the Jordans, the LeBron James, the, the core players, the core superstars, the goats per se, yeah. you know, and, uh, he just, he bought some crazy, crazy cards, like, and, uh, the boom just hit during the, during the pandemic and stuff and sports cards become really, really hot again, where all the, you know, athletes and DJs and stuff are getting into it and stuff. So, and it was always a, a childhood passion of both of ours. Um, so logically now you're on both ends of it, you know, he's collecting yeah. them and you're grading them. Yeah. I, well, I collect them too. I started collecting too after wrestling and then, the, and then when I, I'll, some of my investments like hit well, I thought to myself, man, there's got to be a way I can do this, you know, incorporate this because I was kind of lost after wrestling. At least, you know, I could have still wrestled in the pandemic. And I was like, you know, there's no no even sense of doing this. So I just put it on hold. And, and but I didn't know what to do in terms of work, you know. So um, the sports cards, you know, I, I moved here to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, because there's a company here called HGA and we grade and authenticate cards like our deal is we. Um, we're kind of like the newbies. We're like rookies in the on the scene. Uh, the big for for people who know about cards. The big the big companies are BGS and PSA grading companies. Right. Um, but we're the thing about us is like BGS and P, PSA. They're kind of like you know they're the industry's finest right now. But they have got boring slabs. We call them the the cases. They're kind of boring, you know. And we we have colored slabs, colored you know custom slabs which people love and. Uh, it's really kind of it's it's working well for us, you know. So don't they also have like six month waiting lists right now too? We are we're behind we're behind a little bit. We all the companies are behind. Uh, yeah. We're we're a little less behind, but um, just you know, a couple times we had a shutdown uh, for COVID. You know, when all these variants whip through and everyone gets it, you know, it's 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 kind of rocky roads for about a month, and and that stuff slows down production. And the thing is, the the people sending the cards in the grade hasn't slowed down because it's, it's like the industry normal now, like to have like a card just raw, you know, yeah. ungraded is almost like if it's good, you got to protect the investment, you know? So sure. you send it in. We, we, I say, I, that's what I do. The professional grading. I, I do about 160, 200 cards per day. And, uh, you know, I got my reading glasses on, I'm looking at all the corners. We grade by corners, edges, surface, and, um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, and centering and it's just a card. It's crazy to look, look at, you can look at a card and you can say, Oh, it's, it's perfect. You know, the, the eye, but you, once you get it under a, like a, a light and a little bit of magnification, like it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how a 10 card can turn into an 8.5, like in a, in a snap, you know, and that's I've, the big difference. I've also seen people collecting and grading like obscure things like, a thomas jefferson autograph or something like that oh, you, oh yeah like, like you do crazy those? stuff yeah like the like like my brother like um who's super huge he's always getting to these crazy auctions because after a while like you you get all these big cards you're like what's next what's next and you always try to get one up your collection and you know and and the other day he was looking at this these uh, this auction for a, a ronaldo player card but of him when he was nine years old playing. So it was, uh, it was a card from like, I don't, I want to say 1997 or say, I don't know, but it was like Ronaldo was 
nine years old and it was you know nine-year-old him that had his name on there and it was going for some ridiculous money like sixteen thousand dollars or something but jeez yeah well, what a, what a fun little tangent this was into the trading cards yeah right but and what a mug oh what a, that's what she said mug as you said I'm, yeah my we love the office like like everyone loves the office so good um, and we saw this mug and i i you know, we always give each other little gifts and stuff. So who knows when it was? It might have just been like a small, like surprise gift. But yeah, so. So what was the big break for you in WCW, do you think? Um, the big break was, I think, Vince Russo, you know, uh, in the fall, the fall of WCW. I, I hate to say that, um, you know, but when it was ratings were diving and, you know, like all those same ex-WWF guys were, were kind of just draining the the payroll, you know, so. Um, and they weren't were really producing anymore, you know? Um, so it was just, it was dying. So, you know, basically all those young guys who were ready to go, got all got a chance, the natural born thrillers, like those guys that just mentioned, you know, Johnny, the bull and the Chuck Palumbo's, the Stacey X O'Hare's, uh, we all got chances. Elix Skipper, Reno, uh, Alan Funk, uh, Kiwi. Um, so yeah, so it, it just basically, that was our break, you know, uh, Vince Russo, that new blood came in and, we, we kind of like the national thrills. It was a great thing about uh, breaking out on the TV. It was kind of easy for us actually, because it's like starting, imagine starting the first day of school, a new school, but you're with six year friends, seven year yeah. friends, you know, like we probably got a little bit of heat because we were too clicky, you know, like, you know, clicks never work out in wrestling sometimes. And uh, we, we, you know, backstage, we stuck to each other and, nobody punked us you know like and there's always going to be people if you're just solo if you're riding solo as a youngster there's going to be people that wrestlers that help you and lead you in the right direction then there's other guys that get jealous maybe want to take advantage of you or don't give you much shit in a, in a match or something but when we were you know with the boys you know like nobody nobody messed with us you know i mean people mess with us but we you know we we held our own you know this episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, which is a super important part of my morning routine. With one scoop of Athletic Greens, you get 75 high-quality vitamins, whole food source superfoods, and probiotics to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all the things. And best of all, it tastes amazing, and it's really helped with better sleep quality and recovery for me. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever it is, it fits right into your diet. Look, lots of people take some kind of multivitamin, and I think it's important to choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. That's why I drink Athletic Greens every morning, and that's why it's recommended by professional athletes in all kinds of different sports. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially since it's cold and flu season right now. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash insight. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash insight to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Who do you think was the most underrated of the natural born thrillers? I think the most underrated was probably the, uh, you know, I mean, in, in, in the realm of stars, I think any one of us could have excelled and became a star, you know, like, I mean, like really became a, like in Mexico, I became a big star, like a, a, a real big star. Like, um, it was more probably for TV that I did and stuff, but, um, you know, O'Hare, O'Hare had, he had a lot of star power, probably, you know, the look, he had the probably best look of all of us. Um, and then when I saw him do the Shantan bomb for the first time, I was like, Wait a second. A guy that big shouldn't be able to move like that. Yeah, yeah. We all everyone at that that power plant were pretty athletic freaks, you know. Once we got that core and got, you know, the the tryout over with, like we we went to work, you know. We we're we were well trained and stuff. And uh, you know, Palumbo, Palumbo too, you know, like he had a lot of star power, you know, his motorcycles and stuff. He he's done TV, you know, with his show on Discovery and stuff yeah, after yeah. wrestling. Um I loved, was like, I loved the name above average Mike Sanders so much. Above average Mike Sanders. He was he was smooth on the mic. You know that he, so good on the mic. Like I feel like he didn't um he didn't get a chance in WWE, you know. And, yeah. and I feel like if he did get his chance, he would have been he would have hit a home run, you know. And uh uh you know, so the a, a plenty of guys, you know, like yeah, I, I cut the, you off. You were saying Stasiak too, who Stasiak, ama- Stasiak, amazing, Stasiak, you know, second generation guy, you know, uh where his father had big success and, you know, and, you know, for one reason or another, like everyone had their own path and success, but, you know, uh, you know, every, everybody had, you know, everybody had a chance. I think, I think we all got a chance. One of us, you know, except for Sanders, I feel like Sanders could have gotten a little better chance than WWE. How did you guys find out that WCW was being bought by Vince? Uh, you know, there was always rumblings of <clears> the <throat> backstage and then uh, and then it was just, I think it was a Panama City show where where they came. You know, Shane with Shane McMahon came with. That's other, how you found out. Yeah, it was kind of. I mean, like there was rumors and stuff, but you didn't know it was true. And then, 
we knew about it like I, I want to say the night before, or like in that the morning of or whatever. We were we were already there. I know we were already in Panama City, but there was uncertainty the whole time. Like, is this show gonna happen? And I wasn't actually on the that Nitro show, but I was. I did the dark match. Oh, they did a dark match before they went to TV. You know, so that was crazy. I did a dark match. It was. It was. I, I want to. If I don't even remember who I wrestled, but uh, uh, you know, I remember coming back from my match, coming backstage, and and those guys were there, and I was like, wow, this is crazy, and uh, I felt good because I had a good match. So that dark match, I had a good match. And I remember the crowd because it was the first match too. Like the crowd participation was pretty pretty sweet so i got good pops and stuff and i remember coming backstage i looked i looked pretty good in shape and stuff so i felt like i felt confident whatever wwe you know had the was going to go on and whatever direction they were going to take us um i felt like i had a good chance because like i said we were all like young gunners we all had great bodies uh uh our wrestling lives in front of us and we weren't big overhead you know like all those like i said all those big stars are making big money the Lex Luger's and the Kevin Nash's and stuff. And uh, uh, they're all making big buff Bagwell. And, and we weren't, we, yeah. we, you know, we got entry contracts and stuff. We, we made decent money, but easy contracts to pick up. So, you know, so a lot of us were also one of the first 10 to do like the invasion invasion angle. Yeah. Yeah. Do you so. remember the reaction to people seeing Shane McMahon backstage at Nitro? Yeah. We, um, <clears throat> you know there was a mixture it depends like kind of what kind of wrestler you are there are some like me i was always a fan of his you know so i saw him and i was like oh man this is gonna be pretty freaking cool you know the i want to mix it up because he seemed like a a cool dude you know like i had an uncle i have an uncle pete that reminds me of shaman man a little bit you know like and, and shaman man was exactly the guy i thought he was you know so for me it was cool there's other guys that are kind of marking out a little bit like you know, i don't know i it just seemed like they, you know, won the start, the the butt kiss, kissing you right away. Um, and then there are other guys I think didn't didn't care because they had big contracts with WCW that were guaranteed. Uh, so it was a, mi- a mixture of emotions, but like, but like it was all a big surprise, like a surreal, surreal like event. You know, Shane McMahon at a show with other WWE officials, you know? So I, I remember watching that on TV live and I remember Shane looking really nervous in the ring and maybe I'm just projecting here, but the way I like imagined it is like, he gets there and like, people are like, what are you doing here? This is our turf. Like get away. It's actually nice to know that he was welcomed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. It, it was, it was just the the whole company it just felt like it was going down fast. Like it felt like the whatever you want, the Titanic, uh, whatever analogy you want to use, but like, it just felt like it was the end, you know? And, and I guess him being there and just was ripping the bandaid off, you know? And yeah. the fact that he was there to go on TV was very interesting as well. Great storyline. Absolutely. Like, like, like Twilight Zone stuff, you know? So and it was what's great is um although uh, pretty shortly up you know picking up my contract and stuff i was part a little bit part of the invasion stuff but o'hare and myself we went to developmental right away and stuff you know but like at least we got part of the stuff like in atlanta where like five of us were fighting with five of wwe guys in the ring in the middle of atlanta and then all of a sudden like the ecw guys come from the crowd and they join us and you know that that was crazy for wrestling like like every wrestling fan's dream you know like it was 
Like, wow, did that just that just happened? We got ECW, WCW, WWE. Like it, it was crazy, you know. Uh, so I'm glad I get to be a part of that a little bit. And uh, even my time when we got sent down to developmental, you know, OVW was at that time it was arguably the greatest class of wrestling or that you know era of wrestling ever, ever, you yeah. know. From Cena's Batista, um, Lesnar, Shelton Benjamin, Charlie Haas, Randy Orton, myself, O'Hare, uh, Victoria, uh, Jackie Gata, um, I mean, Big John, uh, what's, gosh, what's his name? Big, Big John, uh, I forget. <laughs> can't remember his name. We're friends. Um, but everybody, you know, like a ton of people. Um, yeah. So that was a great experience as well. And I think I, that's where, we really in WCW, we were green, really green. We got thrown on TV and we survived because, you know, in a pack, we all of our little and our athleticism, we did like crazy moves like you know, Sean, Sean O'Hare did the Swanton, or I did some springboard clotheslines and stuff, you know, for big guys like that. Wow. Kind of covered up our shitty, you know, arm drag we took, you know, like, um, it's very green. But in WWE, we got, we kind of exposed ourselves a little bit, you know, so. Um, they sent us to developmental, which it sucked at the time because it felt like you're going backwards. But like, then you're in a class with all these like unbelievable wrestlers who was about to break out as the next stars, and you're like, yeah. you know what, this isn't so bad, you know. And then you make a bond with those people, you know, like Orton. And I became good friends. Uh, Charlie Haas, uh, Shelton, and then that's then then you come to on the next level, the next level. Uh, Garrison Cade, I forgot about him. God rest his soul. Nick Densmore, you know, Eugene, um, Rob Conway, uh, the Bashams. I mean, I can't, I, I'm still naming yeah. people from this Crazy. class. So, so every day our classes were ridiculous, you know, and uh, promo class. And we had fun. Like it was, it was big fun. We worked hard, but you know, it was big fun. I just felt like, unfortunately, a lot of the guys who were stars in WCW really didn't get a chance to shine in WWF for, for whatever reason. Maybe there was too many people on the roster. Maybe they were focusing on their guys. But it was just unfortunate because I loved both Raw and Nitro. And the guys I loved on Nitro, like you guys, weren't really getting a lot of airtime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was because a lot of us were, were green, you know? And uh, yeah. And like I said, again, thank God, like, you know, you know, we're when you're six, six, you know, especially at the time, you know, WWE was still kind of still the land of the giants kind of, you know, it was, it was still, it wasn't until about 2003, 2004 when Eddie Guerrero or Chris Benoit and stuff, you know, started winning champion, like where it actually accepted before it was always like, besides like Bret Hart, it was always like the psycho Sid yeah, and Shawn Michaels. Like they were really the only ones. Yeah. Like usually it was a, even the rings kind of like favored a big man, you know, running the ropes, like the ropes are, um, but like, you know, it, it, um, so it was like a changing of the guard kind of, you know? So, yeah. Was you being friends with Randy Orton, what led to you originally being part of evolution? I don't know. You know, that, that I don't know. Um, actually, you know, before the, I, I, you know, I think, we, we just kind of were becoming friends and he in Louisville um, when uh, I had flown up to Stanford and they had told me about, I remember I was there with Mordecai. They told Mordecai about what the gimmick they wanted him to work on or Orlando Jordan. They told him about what he was going to do and I was going to be in the evolution, you know? So 
And then, and then that's when I was going to be in Evolution. And Orton, you know, obviously uh, was joining Evolution as well, this group. Like, that's when we kind of, like, became friends. And we started hanging. We figured, well, you know what? We're going to be in a group. Um, so let's just, you know, let's hang. We started going to the gym together and stuff in, in Louisville. And um, and then on, on TV, we just continued our friendship and stuff, you know, which turned into a, a brotherhood, you know. It was crazy. Um, him and I were just really, really good friends. We really enjoyed, like, traveling together and stuff. And it was just fun traveling and I think it was a little too much fun. That's why, you know, eventually I got kicked out of the evolution idea, but, um, you know, the, I mean, it was great times. He's a good, really good guy. And he, he's in my opinion, top five, easy top five of, of all time wrestlers in WWE. So how long was it from them pitching you the idea of being an evolution to them just changing their mind and deciding, you know what, we're going to go with somebody else. I'm not sure of the timeline, but it like, the timeline I always envisioned my like the way it was going. Um, I mean, that's when we became friends and we, but then he started sending us up on TV. Um, and I want to say I was doing like maybe just heat matches or something, or, or I don't, I don't, I don't even remember, but um, I remember just personally, even though I knew I was part of the group, I remember just getting scared about it because I remember every week on raw, they would, do these polls. I can almost hear Jerry King Lawler now, like who's the next member of evolution, you know, like, and it shows a poll like of test or Kevin Nash or Jericho or somebody like a big stars, like, like stars. Like, you know, I can't remember the exact names. And I was like, man, like I'm the next guy. Like, but like they're naming all these, they're having these polls that are hyping it up. And like, yeah, I was, you know, I had a, a little, we were tag team champions in WCW, but it was not, you know, I was not that known, you know, so I felt like they were over, they're hyping it up really big. And then like, also like, I, I, I never connected with Triple H, you know, like, um, I, maybe I always felt, I felt like we had a relationship where like, maybe he was, he was like an older brother and I was like an annoying younger brother, you know? Um, and just Orton and I, like I said, Orton and I together, were just, we're two immature young, young guys who loved having fun. You know, like we enjoyed like traveling on the road. It's crazy. Like we, we, you know, you, you always rent cars with your buddies and you travel from city to city. And of course him and I travel together and guys are always zooming out of the arenas to get to the next city. Like I can remember Bob Holly stuff going, yeah, I think we can make it two hours and 45 minutes to the next town. He's talking to somebody else, you know, and me and Orton just took our time. We'd stop and, Stop at like a 24 hour Walmart or something <laughs> because we needed to get some shaving cream or something like, and just take our time, you know, and stop at a convenience store and, you know, get a slush puppy or something, you know, something stupid. But, um, <laughs> that, that, you know, those, those times were fun. And what happened was when the, the whole idea was coming to evolution, triple H started getting us together on the house show loops. So we went from me and Orton having a great old time, uh, you know, from city to city, turned into uh, car rides with Triple H, Ric Flair, and both myself and Randy, yeah. um, which was cool. But like our young, you know, our young bunch was kind of cramping our style. You know, like <laughs> like man. <laughs> now Flair, Flair wasn't. Flair was always cool. Like, in fact, I think that was like the deciding factor where like Triple H is like, man, I got to cut the cord in this, and he referred to it in that documentary about the ruthless aggression and stuff. The little he was like, I wanted to kick him out of the car. I would kick him out, you know, throw him over a bridge or something. And, and like, it makes sense because we're like, 
man, we're like young kids, you know, like, are we there yet? That type of stuff. And if it were, we're, we're being annoying kids, you know, Flair really, Flair really loves the, um, uh, he's got, he's, he's still a kid in the heart himself, Rick Flair, sure. you know? So with, with these, like, and I said it a million times, it seems like, but with these car rides, we we're supposed to be talking about the X's and O's and the, 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 this formation of the group and what it means and stuff turned into immature hour for me and Orton in the backseat. Like literally, the only thing that was missing was Triple H turning around when you got like, you know, basically I'm gonna just pull this car over and spank <laughs> you guys. Like that's that's the only thing that was missing. And then and then that if it wasn't that us be, being immature idiots, um, it'd be like Ric Flair, like, you know, asking us about like, oh, the girls we met, you know, a few nights before or something. And then you know, I'm start- sure Rick was trying to pick him up with you guys too. Well, he'd always, he'd, he'd but the, the, the conversation would go in that direction. That was not the, the direction that Triple H wanted to go. It was supposed to be more towards like, you know, X's and O's and talking yeah. about the business and stuff. And like after a couple of loops, a couple of car rides, <laughs> he probably like, like many uh, who rode with me and Orton probably one that he'd, he'd, like you said, he wanted to kick us out of the car, kick us over a bridge or something. So, so was it Triple H who finally said, sorry, Mark, or was it Vince? Well, no, no, it was, it was, if you, you know, in the documentary too, like, um, for me, it was like a relief to hear, you know, like the real thing that happened. And she said, I told Vince, he's not for the group. And Vince said, yeah, he is. And he goes, no, me, Rick, he, what I didn't like is he included Rick in that. I mean, me and Rick felt he wasn't good for the group. Like, Rick never had a problem. I think it was, it was, it was triple H, you know, like, um, but he, he's the one to pretty much put the ax down, you know? And, um, you know, he talked about it, you know, we were supposed to bring our suits to film the vignettes and stuff and they filmed it. Um, and I, I guess he kind of like knew I wasn't going to be in it, you know, so it kind of sucked, you know, but, um, and it, and I, but like I said, I was so mature that I, I didn't even realize what was going on really. You know, it was like, it's like, when you're an athlete and stuff, when you're young and an athlete and you have that, like, you just, you just feel like you can create anything you want. Like, sure. you know, so. You, you've got to be able to look back now with hindsight and go, geez, that would have been a really big opportunity for my wrestling career. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Every time I see Batista in one of these, uh, direct TV commercials or whatever, or these, uh, or these, uh, you know, for his movies, I think about that, but like we, we're, we're different kind of wrestlers, you know? And, and, uh, he might have fit the enforcer thing a lot better than I would, you know, like, um, so I don't, I don't, you know, looking back on it now, like, you know, you can, um, you can always say what if and stuff, but it always, you know, forever go back and forth, but it's one of these things where was it good to have bad, you know, because then I went to Mexico and like, I, I, you know, and, you became a mega star there. And I don't know if a lot of people realize that you were a huge star in Mexico. Yeah. You know, it, on TV. I, it, it kind of, I kind of flew under the radar for a while because I had a name change. I was Marco Corleone, you know, and, and, uh, you said that with the most American non-Spanish accent ever. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, if I said like American to be like Marco Corleone, you know, or, but like in Mexico it was Marco Corleone and, oh. uh, with the a Marco Corleone oh, and, uh, and that 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 was kind of like you know that the, the one thing in that whole documentary WWE which they didn't really express was like or talk about it, you know they, they have to do it because it's WWE videos where it's not the end all be all like they act as if it's like you're not an evolution and then I you know 
I'm roadkill, you know, like it didn't happen yeah. like that, you know, like, yeah, we parted ways. I got the, the dreaded call from Johnny Laronitis and got released and, you know, but like not too much shortly after that, I discovered Mexico, you know, and kept, kept going, you know, so, you know. How did you get this break to be on this soap opera the first time? The, the, the soap opera in Mexico? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Because that's really what broke out for you, right? No, no not really. Not really. Um, what kind of, I, I give credit for, for my breakout with, um, in 2006 when I went there, the crazy thing, that the crazy thing what happened was um, that spot for Marco Corleone was actually for Chuck Palumbo. Because hmm. Johnny the Bull and Chuck Palumbo went in March of 2006, do some ultimate, ultimate dragon shows okay and they had like a little angle they were running or something and after that they came back you know came back to the states wwe rehired chuck palumbo so now johnny the bull is going to go back in may of 2006 and now he needed like another italian buddy to be fbi with him so mark jindrak you know wasn't really intense so i went over there and i was marco they they made the name marco corleone for me and um i played that italian guy in may of 2006 and immediately i fell in love with her you know and and uh so my big break was basically getting a chance to wrestle in in uh arena mexico and cmll that's a company consejo mundial de lucha libre yeah. so i got the wrestling um with there and at that time the the every friday in arena mexico that's like the cathedral of lucha libre that's like the our madison square garden but we run that every single Friday night. So we were having crowds wow. of 11, 12, 13,000 people week after week because the figure at that time was called Mystico, um, which became, I, I don't know, Caristico or Sin Cara or something in WWE at one point. Uh, but Mystico was super, super over in 2006. So basically, when I decided to eventually stay there um, and become a regular wrestler in, in Mexico and live there, um, you know, I'd be tag team partners. It was always three on three. And usually my partner was Mystico. So they'd see Mystico, but they'd also see this guy that was six, six without a mask, 255 pounds. Yeah. And my athleticism really started working for me because in WWE, the athletic things I wanted to do, like we did that, you know, Garrison kid did that, that drop kick thing where you hold the guy up and I drop kick him. You know, that was pretty cool. But like, it just, it was always one of these things where like, well, if you're doing this and what's Billy Kidman going to do, you know, like if you're going to do a springboard clothesline that they always kind of put the brakes on the stuff. Like I kind of had handcuffs in my athleticism, but Mexico was like, if, it, if you can do it, do it, you know, the, the bigger and the better, the cooler, you know, and, and my first matches were in, in CMLL were with Alberto Del Rio, who's Dos Cotas junior and Lismark, who's in WCW for a few years as well. Um, they spoke English. So it was kind of, you know, so I was a, a Rudo or a heel when I first came. And, and then once I, I learned, you know, started learning Spanish, I, I, I saw Mexico as like, because if, if anyone knows like the character Vampiro, obviously in from wrestling, he was a mega, 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 mega star in the nineties. I can't say it enough. He was a huge, huge star. And uh, I kind of, I saw the, I envisioned the chance to become that same guy, you know, but mm -hmm. like the 2000s version of, you know, but in, in many regards, I felt like I was in, in arena Mexico. That was my arena as well, because they had that ramp leading to the ring. So my famous move was the air Corleone or Aero Italia. They call it um, where I'd run down the ramp and jump over the, 
the ropes and do like a flying crossbody. And that stuff was like, man, that was next level athleticism stuff. You know, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. And uh, for me, it was super simple, but for the, the people watching, it was like, you know, this guy, yeah. is, this guy is pretty, pretty big, you know, and I was really muscular at the time and like, just really just in really good shape. Um, so it, I got over, I started getting over and then I got over like they're cool moves. So it was like the whole heel Rudo character, like that, that's just it, as a foreigner, you always become in a Mexico. You, they always put you as like the bad character because it's easy to be the bad gringo, you know, sure. but I didn't, you know, like, and it was crazy because when I, my last time in, you know, SmackDown and stuff, um, uh, was with I travel with uh, you know Ray Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. Those guys are my travel partners. So the Mexican culture, I ha- kind of had a back, you know, uh, learning of the culture, but not not so much, you know. So um, just going there and stuff, it was it was kind of just surreal, you know. And uh, just I ended up getting, you know, I just got over, you know, I got over. Yeah. It was almost like I got released. I never thought I'd get released from WWE. First of all, because when you're an athlete's athlete, like you saw those things in the WWE videos and that thing. Like one time I jumped up, I jumped and touched something that was 12 foot two on the first Shane McMahon um, in Staples center. I touched something in Staples center and they measured it 12 foot two. Um, like I had, you know, I just, but for some reason and, and backstage, you asked a lot of the guys that were there at the time. The whole thing on me was man. Like I was always a character backstage. Like me and Orton had our little antics and stuff. And I just fed off of him and, fed off the boys. I, I love the camaraderie backstage, you know, so that just made me happy. And I'd be very outgoing, charismatic backstage. And a lot of times people would say, man, why can't you do that out there? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I always had like a disconnect for some reason. And, and uh, it just, when I got released, it was like, what? Like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe I struggle who Mark Jindrak is, you know, because Mark Jindrak is a guy who collects baseball cards and stuff and plays video games and, Kind of my to myself, you know, but like, uh, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, it just kind of like they released me, and I was like, man, this is this is strange. Like, I'm I've always been just an athlete. Well, now what do I do? You know, like, I'm not going back to Denny's, my <laughs> <laughs> tables. Um, you know, so it just it it really light a fire in my ass. You know, like it was like, and I wasn't feeling Japan. You know, and a lot a lot of unfortunately, like you know, a lot of I mean, not unfortunately wrestlers they love japan you know like they love the culture and i love the culture too but like it was never like a dream of mine like i want to say this and i no disrespect to the, the you know the professional professional wrestling but like it was never my like dream like if, if you would have given me a choice be the 12th man on the nba bench and you'll play like five minutes the whole year 82 games five minutes or be the heavyweight champion and go on a huge long run like a jbl or something i i would rather be the 12th man on the NBA bench, you know, like that's where your passion was. Your passion, that's where my passion was. Basketball. You know? So yeah. it just, you know, just, it, it lit a fire in my, under my ass. So when I went to Mexico, it was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know politics anymore. I didn't know who were the big po- political figures were and stuff. And and I, I made my mark quick, you know, like I remember one time there was a, a, a guy, Dr. Wagner, you know, he's a, a Mexican legend there, you know, and, uh, his brother was Silver King, who passed away. God rest his soul, Ramses. Um, and I remember like a match, you know, in Arena Mexico, where he 
he slapped slapped me in the face, slapped the shit out of me, and I took his head off of the clothesline, like shoot style, you know, like and I probably wouldn't have done that in WWE if I knew it was like a political figure that could bury me, you know? Yeah. And I didn't give a shit in Mexico. Like I just said, you know what, fuck it. You know, I just got I just got fired. Now I'm gonna just show you wanna see my you wanna see what I got? See what I got. And like that's when I did my best stuff. And I got over in the ring. Like I got I got over as a as, as Technico, a babyface, I started doing the Rick Rude. Rick Rude and Kurt Henning were always my favorite wrestlers. So I started doing the Rick Rude, you know, hip swivel. <laughs> yeah. And that got over huge. It was crazy. So, um, you so things that, were going so well for you in Mexico and you were so over. What brought you back to the U.S.? Well, um, well, it actually go back a little bit. You, th That's when I kind of got over. And that's when the, the, the acting came along. Okay. That's when the... The, the, the novellas, the tea, the big time TV came. What was what was your line on the novella? Picadio. So the, yeah, that was my famous line. Um this novella. What does that mean? Soap I'm gonna I'm gonna make chop meat of you. Like I'm gonna chop, you know, like it's it's like an old school, like if I said that to you in a fight, like I'm gonna make chop meat of you, boy, you'd be you'd probably laugh at me, like, what the hell are you like grandpa? You know, what are you what are you talking about, grandpa? And it's just the way I said it. So like and this soap opera, it was prime time, you know, like they're not, they don't come on in the afternoon here in the United States. They come at prime time. This was like a huge, huge production. And the crazy thing was the first episode was me and pretty much the main star. His name is Fernando Colunga. Kind of refer, he's like almost like the George Clooney of Mexico. Very respected actor, very private, very, you know, that handsome Mexico guy, you know, like. Um, so we filmed in Chicago. And we felt like I was like a Russian, like, you know, uh, bad guy and stuff. And we ran into each other in Chicago. And the story goes like, uh, you know, I, I I actually ran into him. He was on his bicycle. My limo hit him. And I'm like, oh, you know, I thought he was going to sue me. So I was like, if you need anything, come see me. And then the story, he finds out that he has a daughter of seven years old that his ex-girlfriend didn't tell him about. So he doesn't have much money. He needs money for a plane ticket. So he comes to me. I give him the money for the plane ticket. But I... I dirtily stash money inside of a, a suitcase saying well you know can you bring the suitcase to an an orphanage on your way to monterey mexico and he's like yeah sure he gets caught by the police crossing you know and, and border you know and uh, he tells the cops of me so they come they arrest me it's supposed to be a one-shot deal that's it one episode but when i was in jail my lawyer says to me yeah you know jesus garcia that was the main character's name El Canto means he sung. He he told on you. And in my cell, I, I get all mad and I gather myself. I said, Ellen Feliz de Jesus Garcia, which means, you know, kind of like the ungrateful Jesus Garcia. I said, Lo voy a picadillo. And I said, it's super peculiar. As like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 90s would say, I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby. Which it's is a chapa. Yeah, exactly. It's not a tumor. Like, <laughs> That it hit like that, like wow. It, if I'm mistaken, it, it trended on Twitter in Mexico, like trending on Twitter. Um, the the it was supposed to be a one shot deal, but like the producer after that that blew up, it was getting crazy social media hits and stuff. And remember, and I want to let me let me say this: the ratings for the first episode was like 33. Okay, yeah, 33. Not like you know. Wow. Raw, when I was on Raw back in the day, it did like a 2.729. People were like, oh, this did like 33 with a 56% share. So it was on open TV, free 
free television, Televisa in Mexico. So huge. Yeah. Like, and they all heard that saying, they will ask for Picadillo and they went crazy for it. The next day, the, the production crew called me and said, you know, they loved it and uh, they're going to keep me start filming from jail. Cause I'm in jail. Um, but I'm going to keep saying it. Eventually I'll get out of jail. And, that one episode turned into like 187 episodes, like a crazy That's amount. That's insane. To where, to where like I starred, like like the name of the episode, actually Uri, Uri, Uri Petrovsky was my name. So Uri escapes from, like I had like five or six episodes named Man. after Uri. And, 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 and let me and grant you, after it did huge ratings in Mexico, it went over to uh, Univision in the United States. And on national rankings, I used to get the national rankings from, for, National TV, like we're talking Fox, NBC, ABC, um, and Univision's on those, you know, one of the, the big ones. Yeah. We, like literally that novella would be top five every night in ratings. Like one night we were as high as three. Like I think it was like the Major League Baseball All-Star Game was number one in ratings for the night in national TV. Number two was like some kind of like big reality cook show. And number three was Por Cala Mormanda. That was my novella. Man. And like, so, and, and like it was crazy, like, Number six was like Modern Family. Number eight was like, you know, uh, Two and a Half Men or something. So like, it's crazy to think on a given night nationally, yeah, yeah. more people saw Uri Petrovsky than Sofia Vergara, you know? So, um, so, you know, going back to what I was saying then, like if everything's going so well, why not stay in Mexico? Well, what kind of happened over time was um, Lucha Libre decri- declined big time, the business in in 2006, 2007, 2008, 2000, even 2009, Lucha Libre was booming that, you know, but like all of a sudden, like that on that same television, uh, Televisa and TV Azteca, the big ones, the, the free open TV, WWE came on those channels now in 2009. So all of a sudden, like it, the, the point where they just dominated the TV screen. So like we, we'd always get pushed aside. We'd be on Televisa but like if there's a soccer game or some kind of sporting event more important than ours, we get pushed to the side and to the point where like the, they, we end up going with another TV, you know, syndicate that was way, way, way less rating. So honestly, for a while, like I'd still do these high rated morning programs or novellas like after that novella soap opera, I would I'd get a lot more like I was the big guy, you know, like you want to and it was crazy the next the next um, soap opera that came out by that producer, I came back and I said the same slogan, Table Ass or Picadillo. So imagine like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger using the, I'll be back, Asla Vista in the same, in a different, in a completely different movie, you know, like, yeah. but I, I was a good guy this time. Like, I helped the good guy character, you know? That's so, so funny. Um, so I rolled that way for a while and, um, you know, just, so all these parts would come along, but like what was happening was the wrestling gigs, um, just my body was rigid. like, I, I remained one of the top stars in CMLL for a while, you know, like one of the top technicals. And in 2017, I just started getting, you know, I started getting older, you know, like nearing 40. Um, <clears throat> I think <clears throat> the thing that really killed me is I started making more trips back to the United States. My son, who was born in 2016, he's five now, you know, he was one year old and stuff. And I'm still traveling around Mexico and stuff. I just, you know, it got a little more uh, unsafe in Mexico at the time, you know, like uh, it just uh, the, 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 the pace of the value, the pace went down. So like 
literally my money from 2006 to 2017, 18 was like went, went down drastically. Even though my stardom became bigger, like the pace went down as my stardom got like so it. I, I almost made the same as I first got there because mm. you know it just it sucked. And then and then in 2017, one of our top baby faces named Atlantis, uh, he went down with a bad like patella knee injury or something. So I worked like an obscene amount of times. It just burnt me out. Mm. I started making more trips with my family back to the United States, showing my wife who who had never been to the United States before before me. You know, like started showing all these places, and I just you know I just. I decided to make the move and it actually worked out because it happened right before the pandemic. And, uh, and it just, because of the pandemic, it just, I stayed out of it. I stayed gone, you know? So I just felt like it was time. So that's all it really was. And then the, the, the acting gigs too, like, um, I figured I'd pick that and still pick that up in the United States and do more of that. But like, I just you still I can. Know. You still, I still can. No, I still can. I still Not a can. lot of forty-four-year-olds that look like you. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I, you know, I can do some dad, you know, older dad uh, parts or something. I don't know. What are you talking? Older dad? Jeez, come I on. Uh, I always, I'm, I'm always harder on myself. You know, um, I always make it sound worse than it really is. Like, so. should I pull up this Instagram photo and remind you of what you look like? It's unreal. I, I, yeah, well, I, which one, which one are you referring to? The, the one you one? just posted the other day when you were, you said you were back in ring shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I worked really hard to get in that, um, uh, back in shape like that. You know, I never really got out of shape. It's just, um, if you keep it, you keep a good diet, you know, we, if you eat well, I just think that whatever you put in your body is how you're going to look, you know, like I, I might be not as big as I was before, but it's just because I don't eat as much, you know? So what do you weigh now? Like 225? No, no, no. I'm probably now about, I think, 238, 238. Right. So, I said, so again, I look a lot skinnier and thinner, but I, I hold the weight really well. So, like, you know, but I, I like what's good is because I took some dates in wrestling, Um, you know, again, it's helped me get back. It, it kind of helped me get back in the shape I want to be in after wrestling, if that makes any sense. Mm, yeah. Like I, so, I don't want to carry all that 250 pounds around and stuff and. If I ate like crazy five, six times a day, I could I could get back to that, but like it's too much. It's too much, yeah. too much, too much. It burns you out. Um, so I, you know, but getting back that that push, you know, like it I want to be that range like 230, 235, like rigid, ripped, you know, athletic frame. Like are you open to- into my fifties? You know, I want to be like that, athletic speaking. Are you open to taking more bookings now? Yeah, yeah. Um but I find myself doing more Lucha Libre um, bookings, you know, because I'm, there's kind of like two wrestlers, you know, like one is Marco Corleone, who's, you know, in your southern part of California, southern part of Texas. Uh, and then you got Mark Jindrak, uh, the rest of the United States. And to be honest with you, like, we, you know, I could, I, I could talk about my, all the things that happened, all the wonderful things that happened in Lucha Libre, all the events where I shined, huge pops like wow events where I met like crazy people and stuff. Um, you know, where I was the star of the show where I was a star of, and like I had moments, you know, where in WWE, like, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie. I felt mediocre at best the whole time. And I know I, I don't feel like I was like the enhancement talent. I don't feel like I was a superstar, you know? So, um, and that's not the way I roll, you know, like I, yeah. I, I demand excellence and, and, but it showed me and it, and it should show a lot of people, especially now, especially now there's so many options go to is WWE wasn't always the, you know, 
at one point in time, you think at that point in time, you, you know, before I knew about Mexico, it was like, well, the only way to get to 10 in the wrestling world is five plus five. That's WWE, you know, but as I found wrestling in Mexico or, you know, this, or that, like you can get to 10 by eight plus two and seven plus three. It didn't always have to be the proverbial or the, the run of the mill five plus five, you know, and yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I learned. And, and, um, it was, it was great. Like, I, I'm glad it happened. Um, you know, you can always look, I always go back and say, what if with, with evolution, but like, I had a really cool 12 years, like really, really good time, really cool 12 years where like, like I was for, for probably a peak 2008, 2009, 2010, like I was a hot, hot figure in Mexico, like in all the, like the, the big star magazines, I was winning like best abs and, you know, um, dated a few actresses and stuff or, you know, or, or, you know, you get in those uh, paparazzi magazines and stuff, and it was cool. Like it, and, and my friends were there with me. Like I was, my best friends there at the time were Rocky Romero, um, and uh, Alex Kozlov. You know, um, yeah. So those guys were my my boys. You know, it felt like Natural Born Thrillers all over again, and um, it was just a great, great time in my life. And then eventually, when I settled down and became, you know, I understood who was who in Mexico, and you know, I gave a shit about the political structure. Uh, you know, I I, I simmered down. I got, I found a, a beautiful woman, married her. Uh, we had a baby together and you know, it kind of the rest is history, you know? So yeah. Look at you now. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. We, I've been trying to make this interview with you happen for so long. So like, since I saw you, I think it was last summer. At that Hamburg, event we were Hamburg, at, in, yeah. Yeah. With Legends of Hamburg in for, Pennsylvania. Yeah, it was the first time I saw Maven in a while too. So yeah. Yeah. That was when I did, I did an interview with Maven that day. And then I came yeah. over to you and I'm like, we need to do an interview. So we're doing it now. I'm so glad. Mark, th this has been amazing. So thank you so much for taking some time tonight to do this. No, thank you, man. I, I, I love seeing your posts on Instagram, all the great artists and stuff that you've interviewed and stuff. So congrats to you. Like, it's really, really awesome. Thanks, man. I feel like you and I are just both getting started and I love it. You know? Yeah. Right. Future's bright. I end every conversation uh, with the same question because I love gratitude. I, I practice gratitude every single day. So Mark, for you, what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? Uh, my, my family, um, number one, my family, uh, peace of mind, you know, like mental health and mental being okay inside your body is so, so underrated, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it's such a big thing. So I have peace. I have real pure peace. And, uh, I think I'm grateful for having faith, being brought up with faith and having a, a church I can go to and, and flex my spirit, you know? So yeah, those three things, family, flexing the gym and flexing in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mark, thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. There we go. So glad we could finally make that interview happen. I mean, we've been talking about that since last July. So thank you to Mark for joining us. And how cool does his job sound? Grading sports cards? That's like a dream job right there for a lot of people. Dream job for Mark Jindrak. And as always, thank you for being on this audio adventure with us and share this episode with someone who needs to hear this story and take a screenshot, share it on social media, tag us so we can share it as well. He's at Marco Corleone. 23 on Twitter, at Jindrak1 on Instagram, and I'm at Chris Van Vliet. We'll leave you with the words of Maya Angelou, who said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, 
change your attitude. Be great. Be grateful. Have an amazing weekend. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.